This is what the word of God says. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So twice each year we celebrate new life in Christ in a very pointed way, in a very visible way. And the way the Bible tells us to, the way that is patterned for us throughout the first century church by celebrating baptism. We're about to start a sermon series actually through the book of Acts. That's going to start next Sunday. And as we read through the book together, you'll find a total of at least 10 different baptisms mentioned. And sometimes the one time a baptism is mentioned, it's referring to literally thousands, thousands of people being baptized. Baptized, Baptism is a glorious thing. Baptism is a normative thing throughout the New Testament. Now, I've never met someone who claimed to be a Christian who didn't believe baptism was in some way, shape, or form a big deal. I've never met someone who claimed to be a Christian who didn't see baptism even as a good thing or a very big deal. However, sometimes people tend to play up baptism, believing more takes place than what really does. Groups of people who believe this, to whatever degree, will likely refer to baptism and communion, for that matter, as a sacrament. You say, what's a sacrament? I say, that's a very good question and one that I can't answer from the Word of God because the Word isn't in there. And so, we turn to Google. What's a sacrament? Here's the definition of sacrament. In the Christian church, a religious ceremony or ritual regarded as imparting divine grace, such as baptism, the Eucharist, and in the Roman Catholic and many Orthodox churches, penance and the anointing of the sick. Thank you, Google. You're welcome. So Google just said a lot, but if you heard the first part of what she said, she said, it said, of what it said, It was defined as follows, a religious ceremony or ritual regarded as imparting divine grace. That is what a sacrament is, uh, that's how a sacrament is defined. Now, when people refer to baptism or communion as a sacrament, that's typically indicative of the fact that they believe something literally happens during baptism or during communion, both of which we'll celebrate today. Now, we've covered this before, but I'll just remind you that some religions believe literal saving grace is imparted during baptism, that it's the baptism itself that literally saves the person. That is why, for example, Roman Catholics want to have babies baptized as soon as practical. Why? Because they believe baptism literally removes the original sin that we are all born with. The Church of Christ and similar religions also believe in baptismal regeneration, that literally regeneration itself, rebirth itself uh, takes place as a result of baptism, that you are born again only when you have been baptized. Now, these are heresies. They're not just things we just agree to disagree on. These are heresies because they deny salvation by faith, what? Faith alone in Christ alone plus what? Nothing. And they add the act of baptism as a requirement for salvation. 
Now, Presbyterians also believe that baptism is a sacrament. They don't believe that saving grace comes as a result of baptism, but they do believe grace is imparted in a different way as a result of being baptized, which, once again, is a concept you'll just not find in the Bible. Why do so many people look for a wow when it comes to baptism? Why do so many people look for something more? There's something more than the bread and the cup representing the body and blood of Christ. No, but there's something more that goes on in that bread, that gluten-free bread, by the way. I don't know if you saw that in your outline. Why, why is that? Well, I think it's this. I think deep down inside of us, we crave something more than what we believe to be ordinary. We crave something more than what we believe to be the mundane. And we want to know that what we're doing will take, right? That what we're doing will kind of, sort of, in some way, shape, or form, accomplish something, get us on the board, or render us either right with God or closer to God or in a better standing with God. But let's face it. Ours is a faith that is 100% based on things in the past that we believe, that impact us today, based on the Bible. But the vast majority of what we read happened about 2,000 years ago. Would you not have loved to have seen Jesus walk on water? I mean, would, would it not have been amazing to speak to Lazarus after Jesus restored him from death to life? What did that guy have to say? Oh, right. There's got to be, I just would love to, to speak to him. Would you, would you love to hug Jairus's daughter or to see a man born blind see with his eyes for the very first time in his entire life? It's kind of like if we can't have that, At least we can see something special right before our eyes as we partake of the ordinances of baptism or communion. So in your outline, what I want to do is quickly walk through five reasons I think people look for special signs and wonders. Some of these are more obvious than others. So the first one, you might be just looking for a good thrill, right? In the Gospel of John in chapter 6, a large crowd was following him. Why? Because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. This This is understandable. Luke 23 and verse 8, we're told that when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. This is understandable, right? Like, I don't care if you're a Christian, a Buddhist, a Muslim, a Hindu, an atheist, or whatever. If you're going to walk across the Ohio River, I'm probably going to take a longer lunch than usual. Like, this is under, if we hear about something amazing happening, and it's within the realm of possibility for you to see something, why wouldn't you go and see it? We all would. Sometimes people are just looking for a thrill. But secondly, maybe you're just looking to get something for yourself. And again, this is No surprise, if you hear someone is doing some amazing things, you're going to want to get close enough in the hopes that he or she might do amazing things for you because you got to be in it to win it. Also in John chapter 6 and verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. The reason you're still here is because you're still, you still have that aftertaste of the, the loaves and the fish, the food that I gave you. You remember what I did, and Jesus knows their hearts, and he's saying, the reason you're here is because you can still remember the amazing thing that I did for you. He's saying, you're only here because I fed you. And sure enough, if you read through the Gospel of John in chapter 6, when the signs and wonders stop, and when he starts teaching, and he says things that are difficult, they leave. Why? Because they were looking for another handout. They were looking to see Jesus do something amazing again, and they didn't get it, so they left. 
Another reason, number three, you might be looking for God's word to be confirmed. This might relate a little more to maybe baptism or communion. Sometimes people look for a sign to confirm what they've read or heard about the word of God. Sometimes people know what the Bible says, but they want something tangible, right? Something they can see, touch, smell, something they can sense with their own senses that God gave them. Something that, they can, that, that confirms what they've read and accepted on faith. Now, this is not necessarily a bad thing. If you look in your outline, you see John chapter 2 and verse 23. It says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, many believed in his name when they saw what? The signs that he was doing. Uh, they confirmed what he was saying uh, by looking at the signs that he was doing. This is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, many believed in Jesus directly as a result of what they saw. But I want to show you an example of something different. And for that, I'm going to ask you to turn to the Old Testament book of Exodus. So keep your finger in Matthew because we'll be coming back to that. But turn to Exodus chapter 4. So Exodus is the second book of the Bible. It's the first five books of the Bible. is called the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All written by Moses. And the person, just for the record, that I'm going to be second most excited to meet when I get to heaven. Because first is obviously what? Jesus, right? Second, Moses. Moses, Moses, Moses. I am more than Paul, more than any. Moses, okay? He takes the cake. Some of you don't agree with me. You have every right to be wrong. It's fine. Moses is amazing, okay? But here is something that he does that's a little less than amazing, okay? And it's in Exodus chapter 4. And uh, if you look at Exodus chapter 3, which we're not going to look at now, this is when the Lord is speaking to Moses through a bush that was burning but was not consumed. So it never burned out. Do you get that? So here's a bush that's on fire, but the flame never went down. Uh, the heat never started to, to, to wax cold. It was a bush that was not being consumed. Now, in Exodus chapter 4, uh, we read this, beginning in verse, well, we'll just start in verse 1. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, uh, staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So serpents have a tail. I actually thought the whole thing was kind of a tail. Anyway, so he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. Verse 5, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you, you shall take some water from the ground, uh, from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. For my next trick, will, right, it's just one thing after another, after another, after another. Like, I'm going to go with you, bro. I'm going to make sure that there's going to be, an, there's no reason to deny that I am working through you, Moses. But verse 10, but Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. 
but I am slow of speech and of tongue. I, I don't, I, you know, I don't speak very good. Verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who, who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Verse 13, he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. How does God respond? Verse 14 says this. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. But he doesn't act angry towards Moses. He still acts gracious. But we're told there, God is upset. Verse 14, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and, you sh and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. In verse 17, I love the way it ends. Now, pick up that staff again. Remember that one that I made you turn into, that I made turn into a snake and turn back into a staff. And, and take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. So here in this account, what do we see? God performs signs. Sign after sign after sign after sign. And Moses still doesn't believe. And we see how that makes the Lord feel in verse 14, angry. Sometimes enough miracles have been performed. Uh, enough signs, enough wonders have been performed. And it's just time to believe. It's just time to believe. And when you don't believe, it's really because, it's not because you're not convinced by the sign. It's because there's something else at work here. Do you think Moses did not believe that the actual staff turned into a serpent? You think he didn't see his hand turn leprous and then turn back? There was something else. It was fear. It was not unbelief that God wasn't God. It was not unbelief that God couldn't do these things. It was that he was looking to himself. He was looking inside himself to find the confidence and the strength and the courage to do this thing that God had called him to do and said, I will go with you. And he's going, I don't know. I will go with you. I don't know. Poof. Look, a snake. Poof, it's a staff again. Poof, look at your hand. It's all jacked up. Poof, look. Oh, now it's fine again. Poof, guess what? You'll be able to make water turn into blood. And Moses is still like, I can't no more. Sometimes enough signs, enough wonders, enough of God has been proven and recorded to us, and it's just time to believe. God has proven himself. And we have a record of him, him, him having shown himself to be mighty and true, but we anger the Lord when we still say, I need to see something different. I need to see something new. Which brings us to our next point, number four. You actually might be looking for a reason not to believe. Sometimes people look for a sign in order to confirm their unbelief. In Luke chapter 11, we read of Jesus casting out a demon that was mute. Jesus casts out the demon, and the once mute man immediately speaks. But haters going to hate, and so they accuse Jesus of using demonic forces to cast out the demons, which makes, like, no sense at all. And then in Luke 11 and verse 16, which is in your outline, it says that others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. They weren't like, that was really cool. Show us the mighty hand of God at work again. No, others to what? Not to 
fall deeply in love with him, not so that they could say, dude, you got to see this. This is the son of God. No, others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. Sometimes people look for a sign only to confirm or excuse their unbelief. Well, yeah, you cast out a demon, but you didn't cast out a demon standing on one foot. (laughs) Yeah, see, he says he's the son of God. They're looking for a reason to confirm just their lack of belief, their lack of faith. They don't want to bow the knee to Jesus. They don't want to believe that the word of God is true. So they look for a reason to confirm their lifestyle, to confirm their attitude, to confirm their hearts hardened against the fact that Jesus is God and his word is true. But finally is this. You might refuse to believe the sign God already gave us. And that we read about when we read from the word of God in Matthew chapter 12. So here's some of the scribes and Pharisees. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 and following. Answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Now, by the way, they had seen signs. Right? Uh, we want to see another one. Yeah, the other ones, in, I didn't have a good view. Yeah, I don't know, my cell phone cut out. Like, we, we, we want to see, see a better sign. We want to see a different sign. We want to see a sign on a day that was only partly cloudy, not fully cloudy. We want to see a sign from you. And finally, Jesus just says, you know what? An evil and an adulterous generation seeks for a sign. Sign after sign after sign after sign. No sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. What's the sign of the prophet Jonah? Well, verse 40, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In other words, the miracle of miracles, the wonder of wonders, the sign of all signs, the mother of all signs, will be when I, Jesus says, spend three days in the heart of the earth in a grave. And then similar to Jonah having spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, I will die, be buried, and on the third day will walk out alive. So I'll walk out alive like Jonah walked out alive. The only difference is I will have been what? Dead. So here's the sign that's going to be given to you. You want a sign? Here's a sign. You like apples? How do you like them apples? I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried in the heart of the earth. And in three days, I'm going to walk out. Here's your sign. And sometimes nowadays, we read of that. We celebrated it last week in the Word of God uh, as we look back on Easter. And we say, yeah, I need something else. What greater sign does one need? Jesus conquered death. Conquered death by dying yet not staying dead. The Bible says that he literally rose from the grave, that he appeared to his disciples, that he appeared to the ladies who were seeking after him, that at one point the book of 1 Corinthians says he appeared to 500 people at once. And then he ascended into heaven and is now seated at the right hand of the Father and is coming again to judge the quick and the dead. What more of a sign do we need? Jesus says this will be the sign. This is the sign that will be given to you. No sign will be given to this generation except this. But this is the thing. There is no greater sign of God's love for sinners than him sending his only son to die for the sin of the world and then rise from the grave. And that's what 
baptism and communion literally point to. That's what is depicted. You say, well, there's no grace imparted. It's not a sacrament. It's not that big of a deal. It's just water. It's just bread, gluten-free bread. It's just juice. It's just elements. It's just things. There's not a big deal. Friends, signs always point to something greater than themselves. Signs always point to the destination. Signs always represent something greater than just the sign. And the greatest sign of all is what we celebrated last Sunday on Easter. And that's what we celebrate in baptism and in communion. It might just be water. It might just be bread. It might just be juice. They're just signs. But signs always point to something greater than themselves. Jesus' miracles are amazing. Amazing, no question. They're actually really just signs. They're amazing, but they point to something more amazing than themselves, a greater truth, a greater reality. So it might just be bread, it might just be juice, it might just be water. But it's a sign pointing to something way better than bread and juice and water. It's pointing to the body of Christ. It's pointing to the blood of Christ. When we baptize, it's it's depicting somebody dying to their old self and rising to walk in in newness of life. It's being remembered about the fact that though we will die, yet we will live because Jesus died and did live. Signs always point to something greater than themselves. So yeah, it's just a sign but it points to something greater. We don't obsess over the sign. We look at what the sign points to. The sign of baptism points to the fact that someone has has, has participated in the gospel, has believed the gospel, that Jesus who died on the cross for their sins and then was buried and rose from the grave, that they believe this. Not just believe it like, oh, I believe it because I haven't seen it, but that they're putting all of their faith in that. And that alone, in that alone, not in the baptism, but in what the baptism points to. The communion reminds us of Jesus' body and his blood. And it's just bread and juice. But it's not about the sign. It's what the sign points to. Something far greater than the sign itself. That Jesus Christ gave up his body. That he shed his blood for sinners like you and like me. Is it just a sign? Yeah, just a sign. Not a sacrament. It's an ordinance. We do it because we're told to do it. But it's not about what we're doing. It's about what Jesus has done. It's not about what we're doing right now. It's about what it points to, the reality that, it, it, that we're reminded of. And that's what we have in baptism. Just a sign. But we love it because it points to a greater reality. Jesus loves sinners. Jesus died for sinners. Jesus rose from the grave. And we celebrated it on Easter and we celebrate how the glorious gospel came to bear today in Fiona's life, what God used in her life, how he gave her the gift of faith. And we celebrate the fact that she has been snatched from the fire and given the gift of eternal life. Praise the Lord. And so today, if you're a believer, If you know what I'm talking about, if your heart is stirred by these truths as you hear them again, because you think, that's that's me, I 
I know that. I, I, that sign points to something that I know to be true in my life. I mean, the roads are different, but the sign ultimately gets us to the same Jesus, the same cross, the same gospel. That's me. If your heart is stirred, then it's my hope and prayer that uh, the baptism that we get to see and the communion that we get to celebrate together would stir your heart once again and that you would be filled with joy and that you would celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for sinners like you and like me, that these signs would be reminders to you, pointing back to Christ, back to the gospel, back to mercy, and back to grace. And if you're not a believer, if this is not uh, something that you has stirred your heart, that is not true to you, maybe you kind of believe that it's true, but it you're not all in. You're just something you've heard many times before. Or maybe you're staunch against it all. It's my hope and prayer. And I think, I think I could say this on behalf of every other believer in here. That God would use these signs in your life to point you to salvation. That God would use these signs that you see very visibly before you today through baptism. Very visibly before you today in communion to point you to what they represent, that the sign would point you to Jesus and that your heart would be stirred, that not by the sign itself, but that God would use the sign to show you the truth of his word, that you are a sinner just like every one of us, but that Jesus Christ loves sinners, that Jesus Christ died for sinners like you and like me, and that by putting our faith and trust in him, we too might have eternal life because Jesus not only died for sinners but rose from the grave and is seated at the right hand of the Father and is coming again one day to judge the quick and the dead. That good news, that good news, that gospel can be a life-changing message for you if you believe. Not if you come over here and jump in. Please don't do that. That would totally throw me. But if you believe, you can receive the mercy of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, in not just a tingly way, but in a saving way that guarantees you and me and all who believe eternal life with God the Father and Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, we uh, are excited to be able to celebrate what you have done in our lives and specifically today what you've done in Fiona's life. And so I pray that as we uh, celebrate this baptism, uh, Lord, that you would use it in our lives for those of us who believe to, even as David prayed in Psalm 51, to restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Lord, that this would be something that would uh, cause our hearts to beat a little faster, cause us to be excited because we remember your love for us. We remember once again what you have done for us. And Lord, I pray that for those who uh, do not believe, for those who uh, our doubters, our skeptics, Lord, I pray that you would use this in their lives to do what I can't do, what no person can do. Lord, change their heart and change their heart for their sake and for your glory that they would believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for their salvation and that today might be their first day of new life in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.